you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Come on, just add a little prayer with that hand clap right now, and let's just call on the name of Jesus. Let's invite him into this house to do a mighty work tonight. Hallelujah. We need your spirit in your presence and your anointing tonight God hallelujah 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 amen amen let's welcome our guests that are in the house tonight God bless you thank you for being here on this Wednesday night God bless you God bless you on Sunday night the word of the Lord came to me in such a powerful way And without a doubt, I knew God had placed a word in my spirit for tonight. And I knew I would be required to deliver it whether I wanted to deliver it or not. I wrestled this week, considered not preaching tonight and having someone else preach simply because of the struggle of the flesh with the word that I felt that God had put in my spirit. So I came on assignment tonight, thank you, came on assignment tonight as a messenger to deliver what the Spirit wants to speak to the church. I'm not quite certain that any of us completely understand the prevailing effects of our flesh on everything that we do, especially on the church and on the lost world. The word I'm bringing tonight may come across a little different. It's a strong word. I recognize it's rather unusual for Wednesday night, but I do know that the Holy Ghost spoke to me, and I must do what the Lord said do. And as the shepherd of the church tonight, I've been carrying an overwhelming weight this week. I'm not complaining. It is my job. But I've been carrying an overwhelming weight this week. And of course, I recognize that it's the working of Satan and it can have overwhelming, the working of Satan can have an overwhelming effect on the health of the church and on the leadership and on the lost. 
But we can't get off the hook so easy as to always point the blame at the devil. Because the real issue that I am addressing tonight is not to 100% to be pointed at the devil. He's the root cause. I understand that. But the issue is the flesh. I'm not pointing fingers at any individual tonight. However, I am going to be serving the spirit world notice that the tactics that the enemy has been using has not been covert. It has been clearly in the open to anyone with spiritual sensitivity they have seen. And I clearly recognize the motives that are connected with every attack. And I have intentionally withheld responding to certain issues until the Holy Ghost spoke. And the Holy Ghost spoke to me on Sunday night. And when the Holy Ghost spoke, there were some things that became clear to me that are attached to the flesh. I was immediately sensitive to the fact that there will be those that are not prayed up that are going to be in this house tonight. And I hope you give me a little latitude to operate in the realm of the Spirit that God wants me to deliver the Word tonight. Because if not, you'll leave here offended. Not everybody is prepared to receive the word from the Lord. So before I preach tonight, we're going to take just a few minutes right now. And we're going to surrender our heart and our mind and our thoughts and our spirit to the Lord in prayer. And I want us to ask God to help us to humble ourselves to bring the bristles down just a few notches tonight and ask God to help us humble ourselves so that he can do in our lives and in our flesh so we can hear what the Spirit is wanting to speak to the church. Let's just talk to the Lord here for a moment right now. God, speak to us. Let us be humbled and open to receive what you want to say. Let me be receptive to your spirit. Come on, pray that kind of prayer right now. We need it tonight. We need what God is wanting to speak to us. Come on, we've got to desire the word on the inward part, but it's got to get through the hardness of flesh. We need you, God. I humble myself before you, your servant tonight. My spirit stands at attention and my flesh stands willing to do what you've called me to do tonight, to preach the word without fear or favor. Open our hearts, God. Oh, come on, church, let your prayer be heard all over this building. Oh, God. Prepare us, Lord. 
Prepare us, Lord. Let no stone be unturned tonight. Let no spirit be unbroken tonight. But reach down into the very depth of us and take out the cold heart of stone and put a heart of flesh in us tonight. Oh, God. Come on, let him know you desire to hear from heaven tonight. You desire his word. You desire what he wants to say tonight. Oh, God. Oh, God. John chapter 3. I'm going to read one very short six-word verse tonight. Then I'm going to preach what the Lord wants me to say. John chapter 3, verse number 30. John recognized he was the forerunner of Christ. And he knew that the hardest job that he was going to deal with was at hand. And he reached the point of John chapter 3 and verse number 30 when he declares, He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. I know you just prayed. Would you pray that prayer with me right now? Lord, we want you to increase. Help us to decrease so that you can be increased. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God bless you. You can be seated tonight. In the arena of certain public institutions, there is a psychological term used to identify a group of individuals with a particular set of characteristics and traits. While this group appears to be harmless, they are in fact extremely dangerous to the overall well-being and safety of the institution. This particular group of people simply crave credit, but they are often extremely secretive secreted in their approach as not to reveal their hidden motives. They really want more credit than what they are due. They are very concerned about the forward advancement of their image in order to gain more influence and more control. They broadcast and amplify every small achievement 
They broadcast it as though it were a super accomplishment. At times, they may deliberately sabotage parts of a project to enhance the way things look so that it appears that they are the one in authority and have control. Once things are sabotaged and fall and fail, they are able then to step in and appear to have all of the answers. Of course, they know what the sabotage was. This puts the incarcerated individual in the driver's seat to control the overall movement of a unit to gain the respect to decline and tear down the respect of those who legally are in charge of a unit or perhaps of an entire complex. They are easily identified by their unwillingness to work in cooperation with others unless they are the appointed person in charge. They have an agenda with everything they do. It is called manipulation and control. The undercover word for this particular group, they are simply called glory grabbers. When the word is spoken, everybody becomes on high alert. They know what it means. The Old Testament doesn't mention Pharisees by that exact name. Nevertheless, we can find characteristics with similar attitudes and behavior. After Moses and the Israelites left Egypt, there were some grumbling and some rebellion that began to rise against God's appointed leaders. Three men in particular, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, they were envious of Moses and Aaron for their authority over the people. So they accused Moses of trying to make himself the priest or the prince. They said the people were good on their own and didn't really need Moses and Aaron to supervise them or to tell them when to move. Their words were something like this, why do you think they are better than us, that they need to tell us what we need to do? Their agenda was to weaken the influence of God's appointed leadership. Their method was to gather like-minded followers and discount God's appointed leadership team with words of question, covertly trying to dissect what God had put into motion. Naturally, Moses was hurt deeply when the words came back to him, and they always do. 
But he didn't argue with them, even though they were speaking secretively against him. He let God do the fighting for him. That can be the difficult thing to do. Moses was described as the most humble person on earth at that time. How did Moses respond to the ridicule? He didn't stand up. He didn't bow out his chest. He didn't raise his arms. But Moses simply fell on his face. And he declared, the Lord will show us who belongs to him and who is holy. Now Moses had some very good reasons for expecting the Israelites to listen to him and his assistance. God literally called Moses by name out of a bush that burned with fire but was not consumed. He was there and witnessed when his staff was thrown down at the word of the Lord and his staff consumed the staffs of all the magicians and soothsayers that were there. He witnessed the plagues of Egypt and how God's people were spared in the Passover. And it was all at God's discretion and word. At his own bidding, the Red Sea parted when he declared that it was to part. And the water came from the rock in the desert when Moses smote the rock. He didn't always get it right. God told him to speak to the rock. But in his frustration, he smote the rock. But God still answered and the rock brought forth water. God's appointed leaders may not always get it right all of the time. But if they will do what God has told them to do, God will always show up. In spite of all the facts and in spite of everything that Moses had witnessed and had seen God do on his behalf, he still didn't argue. He still didn't stand up for himself. He still let God do his fighting. Korah was a Levite. The Levite tribe had already been chosen as special helpers in worship. But Korah and his friends were not satisfied with the level of anointing that God had placed upon them. They were jealous of Moses and Aaron and they wanted their position and they wanted their anointing. Korah wasn't satisfied with the privilege he already had. He wanted more glory for himself. Korah was a glory grabber. In the church today, we still deal with glory grabbers. They fuss about the things that are connected with earthly glory. It's never the spiritual. It's always the earthly. They fuss about who is in charge, who has the most talent, who is the most anointed? Who should be speaking? 
They create conflict with anyone who gets in the way of their agenda. They manipulate in an attempt to call the shots. They're more concerned over who's preaching than the word that is being preached. If they think I'm not going to be here, they don't show up. They want glory so much they lose sight of the soul that needs salvation. I rise to this pulpit tonight to tell you it's not about who preaches the message. It's not about who teaches the Bible study. It's not about who gets asked to preach, when, where, or the event. It's about the lost soul that needs salvation that only God can give. There's a hurting world that needs God. There's a lost world that needs God. There's an addicted world that needs God. There are people that are lost without God that need the hope of the church. When I become territorial over my ministry, when I fight over who gets to count them in their downline or mine, when we are overly concerned about putting them in our numbers. We have lost sight of the soul and become a glory grabber. There are people that are convinced that the success of the church depends upon them. God is not even in the equation. Well, I mean, of course he is. But I mean, can he really do it without me? They question everything. Glory grabbers want pardon for themselves and their issues. But they want to judge and correct others harshly over the smallest misstep. Are personal flaws. They're judgmental to others, but very forgiving of themselves. I'm going to do a little pastoring tonight. If someone comes to you to complain about the decision of the leadership of this church, the first thing that you should do is ask them, have you talked to the pastor about this? The second thing that you should do is pull out your cell phone and call me while they're still standing there and suggest that they should go ahead and complain to me in your presence. But instead, we listen and allow them to go and covertly question and share their story with anybody who will listen that has no ability to make a change. 
No leader, not even the best of leaders, not even Jesus himself was understood 100% of the time. Outside of Jesus, Moses perhaps would have been considered the greatest leader with the greatest group of followers. He was not understood. Questionably, if he was understood most of the time. But when you lend your ear to someone who speaks against God's appointed leaders, even covertly, even in the form of a prayer request, even in the form of, is that okay? You know when I'm meddling when I ask you if it's okay. Am I doing okay tonight? At that point, we can easily join the ranks of rebellion, not only against God's leader, but against God himself. Forty years they wandered in the wilderness on a journey that should have taken 12 to 14 days. But it wasn't Moses that did the leading. I know he appears to be the leader, but really it was a cloud and a pillar of fire. It was God, really, that was directing their path because the whole generation had to die off because of the lack of their faith. I made public my reasoning for every decision that I make as a pastor, I would have to reveal things that nobody needs or even wants to know. If I had to explain myself for everything, I would have to reveal who lied, who's been unfaithful, who cheated on their spouse. Who doesn't support the church for their tithes and offerings? Who doesn't have a good reputation? Who fulfills all of the works of the flesh, including backbiting, gossip, troublemaking, mm -hmm. glory grabbers want glory without accountability. Glory grabbers want to be in charge. Their decision will always direct the authority and the glory toward themselves. They want to force people out who they can't control and promote people into positions who are in their group, sphere of influence, or who will listen to them. Glory grabbers fight against God's biblical line of authority because they want what doesn't belong to them, God's glory. Glory grabbers believe that the success of the church is based on them. Let me explain something to you. God can raise up another leader. He'll raise up a whole brand new generation. 
He's always going to have a voice. He's always going to have a hand. He's always going to have a people. And when God uses you, don't get too high and lofty and lifted up. He can speak through a donkey too. And if need be, he'll just write words on a wall to say what he wants to say because you think he needs your voice, but you need his help in your life. I believe I'm in the Word tonight when I say he won't share his glory with me or with anyone else. He is a jealous God. There'll be nobody else in front of him. Nobody else before him. Nobody else beside him. Not me, not you, not the pastor, not the assistant pastor, not the music director, not the musician, not the usher. He won't share his glory with anybody else. The moment that we think that volume equals anointing, we've missed the spiritual boat. Matter of fact, you're probably shipwrecked. If the only time we can worship is when the music's just right and the sound is just right and the song is just right and the right person is leading and the right person is playing and it's the right tempo and all the right people are here and the camera's on us, we have missed the purpose of worship. He is seeking such who would worship Him in spirit and in truth. I believe I'm in the Word tonight when I say He's a jealous God. Let me go a little further tonight. As long as I'm the pastor of this church, positions in this church will never be based on popularity or who gives the most financially. It will be based on who God calls and who can walk with humility in that calling. Can I say it again? Who God calls and who can walk in humility in that calling. It'll be based on who is loyal to leadership, faithful to God, and diligent in all things. We have some young men in this church that operate at a higher level of faith than some of the rest of us. Don't ever discount their calling. They're not overzealous and they're not too rambunctious. I have commissioned them to take authority in these altars because I know their walk with God, I know their prayer life, and I see their giftings. They are anointed and highly favored of the Lord. 
last weekend, a group of about 40 young preachers converged in the city of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and together they saw over 1,100 people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost for the first time. That's a reason to celebrate tonight. Two of those 40 were young men sitting right here on the front row. Dylan baptized about 40 people on Sunday. Sister Kayla signed so many people up for Bible studies that her hand got tired and she was looking for more help. Gentry personally prayed nearly 100 people through to the Holy Ghost in that crusade on Sunday. But I said all of that to get to one point. They can't take one ounce of the glory. Let me pastor here for just a minute. It wasn't because your hand was laid on them and it wasn't because you were there and it wasn't because you signed them up. There is an anointing of God. And the moment that he no longer receives the glory and you grab the glory, he will take his hand of anointing off. There needs to always be a reflection of who he is. God gets the glory. your neighbor and tell him God will approve whom he calls. I asked Brother Evan to be up here toward the front tonight. Come up here with me. He works a secular job. He has a call of God on his life. A great anointing of God on his life. He's gifted. He's preached a couple times, three times maybe, in Lebanon over the last few months. And the Lord helped him every time he preached. And it became very clear to me as a pastor. And I said to my wife and to my boys, he's got the it factor. And if you know what that is, that means pastor feels like he's got it. I come up here at night, and I find him in the sound booth back there working on a video. I find his wife up here working. They work diligently trying to get the live stream up and running. They're faithful to the Lord. A few weeks ago, an opportunity came along for them to be able to leave and go elsewhere to a position that would have far exceeded anything that we could offer them here. We sat in my office. He said, Pastor, This is where I feel like God wants us to be. I feel like this is what God wants me to do. I conferred and felt that he was right in what God was speaking to him. But let me say to you, it doesn't matter if he's younger than you, but he is authorized by his pastor to operate in ministry. He hasn't yet received his credentials and his licensing. But he has been authorized to operate 
in this local church and in this local assembly to lay hands on the sick, to pray people through to the Holy Ghost, to baptize people in Jesus' name, to do the work of ministry, to teach Bible studies, to do what God has called him to do. Never discount somebody because of their age. God will approve whom he calls. If God calls you, it doesn't matter what your name is. It doesn't matter what your pedigree is. It doesn't matter who's in your corner. When God calls you, God will solidify your calling and use you in ways that you never expected. Israel's troublemakers and their supporters were about to find out who was called of God to lead Israel. Moses got up. He went to Dathan and Abiram. And the Bible said that the elders of Israel followed him. And he warned the assembly. Here's what he said. Move back from the tents of these wicked men. Don't touch anything that belongs to them. Or you will be swept away because of their sins. I intentionally fell on the sword this week and asked, brother and sister newcomer, if I could have the youth in tonight, because I knew what the Lord wanted me to say. When you're a pastor, you're a youth pastor, you're assistant pastor, one of the evangelists that preach in this, in this church, one of our ministers in this church, Come and speak a word of warning to youth. Come and tell you, be careful who you are associating with. I ought to have a little more help than that in this church tonight. Be careful who you are befriending. Be careful who you are walking with. Be careful who you are yoking up with. You might want to heed the warning. Moses didn't spare any words. He said, move away from them. Don't touch anything they have. Because if you get too close to them, too close to anything they have, or even too close to their tents, you're going to end up swept away because of their sins. I could preach on that a little while. Don't be swept away because of somebody else's sin. The Bible said so. They moved away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And God dealt 
with the glory grabbers. He dealt with the rebels that were working against God's appointed leadership team. God was not going to stand idly by and allow the glory grabbers to win. Korah found something that he could use against Moses. So he went and began to discuss his hot topic with anyone who would listen. You know, I'm only talking to you. But the same thing's told to the next person. And the same person's told to the next person. But don't you tell anyone, and they won't accept that one, that, you know, that one person and that other person. And before long, everything that you told had spread all over the church and think it didn't get back to the pastor. I was elected in here, you know. They may vote me out after tonight. God dealt with them. While appearing to be well-meaning with his hot topic, he began to inquire of those who would join in his concerns. You know, if I could just get one or two with me. If I could get three or four with me. If we could get a group together, we could probably deal with this pastor that gets up here and preaches like this on a Wednesday night. If I could just get two or three with me, you know, I'd probably be bold enough to go and approach this situation. While appearing to be well-meaning and trying to find those that would join him, Korah found himself in a whole heap of frustrations. And then, of course, the way the story always goes, is are you as frustrated as I am? Pastor puts reserve parking signs up, places I want to park. About to put a speed bump out here so some of you will slow down. About to put some pins in some of the cushions so some of you will stand up. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Don't call the vote yet. Korah failed to understand that Moses was God's appointed man and was following what God was saying as God was giving direction. So Korah talked to as many people as he could gather into his downline. He shared his frustrations with the decisions of God's appointed leader. He found those who were easily affected, easily swayed, easily persuaded so he could go back and tell Moses how many people joined in his frustrations. Glory grabbers are never 100% honest about their motives. They appear pure because their motives are hidden. Once the trouble was stirred, once the negative seed had been planted, 
once the damage was done, the glory grabbers thought they would sit back and just watch as things unfold. It's how they always do. Not me. I don't know why people are doing this. Boy, we need a revival around here. Boy, we need prayer around here. I don't have any idea. I just, I mean, because that's how glory gra grabbers operate. As they watch their network become stronger and see them more as the leader that they long to be. But when you touch God's anointed, God will always have the final word. Without warning, the Bible said that the earth began to open up. Perhaps it was an earthquake that caused the earth to open up. But the earth opened up and swallowed Korah and all of his accomplices. They and their co-conspirators died along with all of those that belonged to their group of glory grabbers. When they were swallowed up, God gave the high priesthood to Aaron and his descendants. In the end, God will always prove that he is the one that is in control. Do I have a few more minutes? It's very human to long for credit for a job well done. Yet all of us are not the same. Most of us simply want credit for our efforts, no more, no less. Some prefer no credit at all. And then there's the glory grabbers. They want all the credit. But it's covert. Oh, no, don't mention my name. The desire for credit is human. But when one is driven with secretive motives and the desire for control and authority and position, it becomes sinful. But by the help of the Lord, before we leave here tonight, we're going to turn this place into a prayer room. And I hope every one of us checks our motives and finds a place to repent for every thought that was unrighteous and ungodly that we will surrender to the one who deserves all the glory and all of the honor and all of the praise. Don't be mistaken. The enemy works to bring division among leaders. And the workers of iniquity will capitalize on the tension that can be natural in a high-stress environment of leadership, and they can successfully divide the high-level leaders for personal gain. Thus, the goal of the glory grabber. At that point, lower-level leaders gain higher-level influence, higher levels of control, and the success 
of everything is hindered because we're out of God's line of authority. Ultimately, this is all centered around pride. Proverbs 10, 13, I've quoted it more in the last six months than you've ever heard me quote it. Only by pride cometh contention. There is no other way that pride comes. No other way that contention comes. When there's contention, there's pride involved. But with the well advised, there is wisdom. Listen. The desire for self-exaltation is incredibly destructive. We all want the healing to happen. But we want the healing to happen when we are the one that lays hands on them. We want the word to come forth. We want the gifts to operate. As long as when, when I'm the one that is speaking or I'm the one that's operating in the gifts. It's the same word whether it's spoken through a prophet or through a donkey. God is just looking for a willing vessel. Here is the question that every one of us should ask tonight. Who? are our advisors. I go back to Proverbs 13.10. Only by pride cometh contention, but there's a second part of that. But with the well-advised is wisdom. Not to the intellect, not to the smart, not to those who randomly have anybody as their advisor, but to the well-advised is wisdom. My question for you, who has your ear? Who are we listening to? Who are we confiding in? Who are we talking to? Wisdom cometh from the well-advised, but pride creates contention. Giving credit in good measure is very important. I try to do my fair share of recognizing those for everything that they do. Don't always get it right, but I try. But glory grabbers, they often seek acclaim, even if it's not warranted. Yet not everyone. There are always those in the kingdom of God who achieve great things under the radar. Let me share it with you like this. There are many workhorses in the church. These beasts of burden shoulder the work and do not necessarily need recognition to move the kingdom of God forward. Then... Then there are show horses, those who demand attention, acclaim, credit, glory. It's not that they do not accomplish anything, because they do. It's just 
that the motive behind their success reflects the glory on their image so that they can gain more control, authority, significance, recognition, power. And if that doesn't happen, they'll stay home. Because they don't participate unless they're in charge. Mark those people. I told you I'm coming with a strong word tonight. Mark those people. They're glory grabbers. Unfortunately, the workhorse is often overlooked and the show horse is often over rewarded. But God doesn't look on the outward appearance. He's looking on the heart. I'm closing, but John spoke into this idea when he said he must increase. There's no ands or buts about it. He must increase. The voice of one that cries in the wilderness declares he's got to increase. Because the way we're looking at him now, he's not going to be able to do the very thing that he's coming to earth for. The forerunner of Christ. He's got to increase. But I, I must. The inward battle for Jesus to be at the center of it all is that we want to share center stage with Jesus. He's part of the stage, but he's not all of the stage. We're just sharing the stage with him. But his word declares that he will not give his glory to another. He will be Lord of all or he won't be Lord at all. No wonder David said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. How do you magnify a God as great, as big, and as large as our God? We can't really make him larger. We can't make him any bigger. How do you magnify God? As we decrease, he becomes greater than us. And until we decrease, we secretively see ourselves greater than God. We share the arena. We share the stage with him. But we're at the center of it all. My question, is my worship making him greater than it's making me? Am I making him greater than my image? Am I making him greater than my pride? Am I making him greater than my agenda? If we're not careful, we'll make our worship competitive. 
and we'll start competing with God for the attention and for the credit. My prayer this week has been, God, when I stand in that pulpit on Wednesday night and deliver your word, I don't want them to see me in the pulpit. I don't want anybody coming and acclaiming, what a great word and how masterfully you delivered the word. I don't want any credit on me. When I stand here tonight, I want you to see him. I'm not trying to compete with God. I don't need the attention or the credit on my resume. I need to die out to the flesh so that he can increase. Perhaps that's why the Apostle Paul said, I die daily. Because the war that goes on is often all about who gets the credit, who gets the glory, who gets the recognition. Maybe all of us are too worried about our image. Who gets the spotlight? Who gets their way? Instead of recognizing that everything that we do as a minister, as a worker, as a leader, and as a church must be about Him. We all want to be used of God. and There's nothing wrong with that until it starts being about us. When we start being more concerned about our ministry, our downline, our goals, our quotas, we may claim that God's getting the credit, but secretively we're keeping score so we get the credit. We'll fight with people about things that bring us credit and us glory. But nobody's fighting over who's straightening the chairs on Monday morning when the video cameras are turned off. Many of you have no idea how this church gets cleaned. No idea how these chairs get put back in order. How the mountains of trash that's left in this beautiful assembly on Sunday night gets picked up. There's an elder gentleman sitting two rows from the back tonight on my right side that unlocks this door early on almost every Monday morning. And he comes through in a very weakened physical condition. And he picks up the Kleenexes out of the altar and the water bottles off the front and second row. The candy wrappers and the trash. I'm not sure when I stand before the Lord on Judgment Day that I want to stand behind, beside Brother Tom Clark. Because the Lord may say, you are always on the platform and always in the microphone, but here's Brother Tom. That nobody even knew who he was. Nobody knew that Sister Nancy was the one that cleaned up the nasty restrooms that our kids leave. Cleans out the cobwebs. Works. Nobody sees the funeral dinners and the work and the labor that happens behind the scenes. The moved chairs and the tables, the mowed lawns. Everybody's fighting over the things that bring us credit and us glory. But nobody's interested in visiting the sick, caring for the widows and orphans, 
following up with guests. Everybody's once in the spotlight, but who's, who's staying in contact with the new member that's struggling to stay afloat? Who's checking on the one that missed last Sunday? Who's going to coffee with the lady that's lost and trying to find her way? If we're only concerned with our part of the downline, And then we become greatly concerned and overly protective about the things that are connected to our glory. We need to repent in this house tonight. We need to pray for a genuine love for souls. The flesh has far too much control over our motives. The real issue is we want Christ to increase. Yes! But we don't want to decrease. But our decreasing will always precede his increasing. Conjunction in that scripture, the but in that scripture. He must increase. But there's a price to him increasing. In order for him to increase, in order for him to be exalted, I recognize. John said, "That means me. My hands raised, Coach. I'm the I'm the one with the file here. It's me. It's not my brother. It's not my sister. But it's me, O oh Lord. I need to decrease. Once we decrease, we have set the stage for him to increase. We need to die." to our flesh. Stand with me all over this building if you would. I recognize the time and I'm not holding anyone long tonight. But there's no way I'm going to preach a message like I preached tonight without calling this church to a point of prayer and repentance. I feel God is calling us to prayer. I feel God is calling us away from our flesh. I know this is unusual for Wednesday night, but I'm doing what God said do. He's calling us to consecration. He's calling us to repentance. He's calling us to check our motives, to check our advisors. God is trying to perfect his people. Because in this singular city alone, this week, there were more than 20,000 people that sit in their homes on Sunday and never walked inside the doors of a church. I recently did a quick look through the affected counties of this church inside where most of our social media is being tapped where our influence is going. Almost one million people within driving distance of the doors of this church on Sunday. And we feel like we're really doing something when we come and shout the victory with 250 or maybe 300 people on a really great Sunday. And we think we've really accomplished 
when we're in the spotlight. But God's calling us tonight. We need to check ourselves. God's calling us to a point of repentance. I open these altars tonight. I'm not going to beg, and if you must go, I understand. My final words to you tonight is don't allow your flesh to delay what God is wanting to do in your life in this season. It's up to you. If you want to come and kneel, kneel at the front. Kneel in your pew or sit in your pew if you're unable to kneel. I'm calling us to a solemn altar call tonight, to a place of prayer, to a place of repentance. I'm not going to dismiss us tonight. You leave when you need, but we're going to have a move of the Holy Ghost before we leave here tonight. God is going to take control of this room here in the next few moments.